When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pens Cast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, and as always, alongside me is fellow Pensburg contributing writer and co-host of the Pens Cast, Robbie Noddle. Robbie, how have you been since last week's episode? Yeah, not too bad, Garrett, you know. Um, one day at a time, some nice weather here in, in the greater Johnstown area, but it looks like we got some snow coming. But hey, post-trade deadline, Pens are... Uh, winning some hockey games, I guess we could say, uh, after a uh, crazy one on Tuesday night. But I think overall, um, not too bad. You know what I'm excited for, Robbie? Uh, I am very, very excited about. I, I, I don't. I, I guess we we spring forward this weekend instead of falling back. So we we I may lose an hour of sleep this weekend, but I am very much excited that the sun will be setting later uh, for the next what six seven months or something like that yeah uh, six yeah six seven months yeah i i have been i have been looking forward to <laughs> set, setting my clock back and even losing an hour of sleep that that's how much i hate the winter i hate when it gets dark early i think daylight savings time should be completely abolished uh but you yes you did mention it there was a hockey game a very entertaining hockey game to talk about the Penguins played. Uh, the, the Penguins played the Blue Jackets on Tuesday night. Uh, it was a game that the Penguins should have won. Robbie, they should have won this game. They go down four nothing to the Blue Jackets. Tristan Jari gets pulled after allowing four goals on twelve shots. The Penguins claw their way back, tie it at four all. Then in overtime, Sidney Crosby gets the dagger. In overtime, the Penguins get two very crucial points in overtime, Robbie. Uh, there were a lot of little interwoven developing stories within the context of this 60-minute hockey game, uh, but they found a way to do it, Robbie. That's what matters at this point of the season. They found a way to collect two points. It was not pretty, and you could make the argument that it was their worst game of the season, and you could make the argument that if they would have lost that game, you could have thrown in the towel there because you can't afford to be losing games against basement dwellers like the Blue Jackets at this point in the season. We're well into March now when there are only 20-some games left. 
you can't be making those mistakes and dropping points like that. But it was a crazy game. The Penguins get the two points they needed to keep pace with the Islanders in the wild card race. Uh, a lot of craziness happening in that 60 minutes, Ravi. What were your thoughts uh, on the Penguins and Blue Jackets from earlier this week? It felt like uh, a complete microcosm of the Penguins season all distilled into one game. Just pure chaos. Nothing looked right. Uh, somehow they won, which they've technically done more than they've lost uh, this season, at least in regulation. It was just, I mean, a very uh, Penguins hockey game, I guess you could say. Uh, at least a very 2022-2023 Penguins hockey game. I, it felt like, and I was I was watching the game, and I'm thinking, you know, it's 4 nothing. This isn't good. Um, you could easily make the argument they should have just start firing people when it went to 4 nothing. But a part of me was like, I just have a weird feeling I'm going to find a way to get back in this game. Whether it's 4-3, a painful 4-3 loss, and then something crazy happens in like the last 30 seconds. They hit a post on an empty, or like they have a wide open net to shoot at and somebody hits a post or uh, 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 again, the goalie makes an unreal save or something like that uh, to rob them. And it's saying Columbus hangs on for a four, three uh, victory that game. I mean, Columbus is just a bad team and bad teams lose those kind of games. And I'm not going to call the penguins good, but uh, teams that are better than bad uh, sometimes find a way to win games like that. And when you have, we talk about the Penguins problems and how it's the bottom six, but even though the bottom six is terrible, the Penguins uh, top six, those top two lines still very good. And when they're clicking, you're going to get results like that. And they never stopped. Uh, Jason Zucker again, uh, maybe at this point pricing himself out of Pittsburgh, but Hey, that's, what it's going to take to carry the Penguins, drag the Penguins to the playoffs, and he gets playing like that and can maybe, who knows what can happen once the postseason starts the Penguins get there, what a guy like Zucker could maybe steal for them. Um, it, it And Casey Smith coming coming in cold, uh, shut the door, played a great game. Um, uh, in goal, coming in reserve for Tristan Jari. And, I mean, it's just one of those games. I mean, uh, for a team like the Penguins that's struggling and in a playoff fight, you need games like that. Not pretty, but at the end of the day, you don't ask many questions. You work on what can get better. You just take the two points, don't talk about it, and move on to the next one. And I, that's it just feels like the microcosm of the Penguin season. Just nobody knows what happened. Um, it was ugly to watch, uh, but somehow they won. And if the top six is playing like that it's tough to say what they can do because again those guys aren't the problem they haven't been the problem since day one we know what the problems are uh, and when the depth is needed they struggle but in this game the penguins came out um, down for nothing they could have folded they didn't and sometimes that's what gets you into the playoffs is games like that and uh, the penguins put one together on Tuesday night against Columbus, a big comeback, uh, the first four-goal comeback in uh, many years in Pittsburgh uh, since early, I believe, in the Crosby-Malkin uh, era, uh, era that uh, the Penguins have come back from a 4 nothing deficit to win the game. 
So, uh, yeah, you, you you don't ask too many questions. You kind of burn the game tape, um, watch the good parts. You watch the five goals and uh, just take the two points and uh, throw it in the trash and move on to the next one. And the next one will be against the New York Islanders for the final time this season. The Penguins are, I think they're looking for their first win against the Islanders this season. So we'll see uh, if they, they can move on and respond in a much more favorable fashion against a team that they're really competing with in that wild card race and a team that they have games in hand on. So this would be a very crucial, another very big two points if the Penguins can go on and beat the Islanders in regulation. Really, if they can get a regulation win uh, tonight as we record this Friday night, that would be a massive win and a massive boost for the Penguins' playoff chances. So uh, we'll see if we get the same kind of response we did against the Blue Jackets earlier in the week. Hopefully Mike Sullivan and hopefully the Penguins are arrested enough and come out more motivated than they did when they when they were sleepwalking against the Blue Jackets, but um, yeah, the, it, it, this is we're getting into the nitty gritty now. There, like I said, there's only twenty some games left. Uh, the points are really, really, really crucial at this juncture of the season. So we'll see what happens as the Penguins battle against the Islanders. But we're going to switch gears now and move to our first mailbag segment as the Pens Cast. If you're interested, if you're a longtime listener, when we were podcasting as the Pensburg Podcast. You're probably familiar with me saying if you're a longtime listener or a first-time listener and you want to contribute to the Pensburg podcast, you could have followed the Pensburg podcast Twitter account. But now the Pensburg podcast is no more. We've since rebranded to the Skating Penguin Network. You're listening to the Penscast, but we're still going to have our mailbag segment. If you want to contribute to our weekly mailbag segment, and eventually we're going to have, we're going to turn our mailbag segment into its own sort of mini podcast. So if you want to contribute to our mailbag podcast, you can do so by following the Skating Penguin Network on Twitter at PenguinsFFSN and to get notified about new podcast releases and when we put up our mailbag tweets asking for your participation in this segment. Uh, we love getting all of the regular contributors week in and week out who come back, who continue to listen to this podcast, continue to ask us questions, continue to be involved in the podcast process. Uh, we're very fortunate that we've created this audience and the audience seems to have come with us as we rebranded from the Pensburg podcast to the Skating Penguin Network that's now affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network. So again, if you want to contribute to the mailbag segment, you can do so by following the uh, the Penscast and the Skating Penguin Network on Twitter at Penguins FFSN. So Robbie, we'll get right into it right now. As always, you get question number one. Question number one comes from Brian this week. Rob Rossi tweeted, the 2023 Rangers are like the 2013 Pittsburgh Penguins, and it's starting to look that way. The late, great Herb Brooks always said all-star teams fail because they rely solely on an individual's talent. And I feel like that saying fits this Rangers team. Robbie, do you buy it that the Rangers are turning into the 2013 Pittsburgh Penguins? Um, man, there's a lot to, to kind of break down there. So the Rangers are not, are coming out of a rebuild. They're about two years coming out of the rebuild. They went into the Penguins in 2013 were uh, a, 
I mean, a, basically a buzzsaw that regular season. They didn't win the President's Trophy, but they did cruise through the Eastern Conference with the one seed. That was, remember, this was the uh, lockout shortened year in 2013. Uh, the Blackhawks were the eventual Stanley Cup champions and the President's Trophy winners. Um, both teams kind of buzzed through the playoffs. But one thing, the one difference is obviously the Penguins with Malkin and Crosby have a little more upfront power than what that what this Rangers team does. But I think the big difference is uh, in goal. If the Penguins get the uh, even average goaltending from Marc-Andre Fleury, um, again, Thomas Vokun was the backup that year and stepped in and played pretty decent. But I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury is your number one. If he plays even average goaltending, the Penguins are very well, maybe in that Stanley cup final and they get the, uh, the NHL gets its dream final of the Blackhawks and Penguins uh, at the height of both of those two teams' powers. Uh, but Mark Andre Fleury was not good enough, and the Bruins uh, kind of cruised to the Penguins in that uh, Eastern Conference uh, final in four games. Uh, another difference was um, Tukarask was just on another level uh, in that uh, in that series against the Penguins. So. Um, comparing, it just feels too early for for this Ranger, this version of the Rangers to be considered the 2013 Penguins. I understand some of the comparisons, but again, they don't have. They were a maybe mid-pack Stanley Cup pick uh, coming into this season. There were definitely some holes that you could see in this team that needed filled. The defense still isn't great. Um, you have Igor Shosturkin who is kind of the antithesis to what Marc-Andre Fleury was uh, for that team. He might He's not putting up quite the numbers he did last year, but the numbers he put up last year were uh, borderline historic. Uh, so um, to say that he is, or to say that the this version of the Rangers is the 2013 Penguins, not fully buying that. I think that um, obviously not getting out of even the second round, I mean, not winning a cup would be disappointing to them because that is uh, what their goal is. But I still think that they have a window here where they have plenty of time. Remember, also, that 2013 Penguins team at that point had been going on um, a pretty decent cup drought after what they were expected to create this big dynasty with Crosby and Malkin and be unbeatable and compete with the Blackhawks would be better than the Blackhawks. The Rangers don't feel like that team yet. Uh, maybe next year, maybe in two years. Uh, I think that window is still wide open for them if they can manage everything properly. Uh, but to say that they are the 2013 Penguins with the expectations, not really ready um, to say that yet. Uh, question number two, again from Brian, uh, Tyler Kennedy tweets a day before the trade deadline about Tom Wilson coming to the Penguins. Uh, he would have been a very good fit. Can play in the top top six or give bottom uh, bottom six the grit and toughness it's missing. I think I've said before on the podcast that Tom Wilson is a player that you would love to have on your team, and you hate him on the opposition's team. I don't know how many similarities there are between Tom Wilson and Matt Cook's game. Wilson probably contributes more offensively than, uh, or uh, did I say Max Cook? If I did, I meant Matt Cook. Matt <laughs> Cook's game. Um, Matt, Matt Cook and Max Talbot. Too many M's, too many mass sounds. But yeah, b- back to the question at hand. 
uh, Wilson probably provides uh, better offensive upside than Cook did uh, when he played with the Penguins. He, look, you know what you're getting with Tom Wilson at this point. He is a enforcer slash power forward who, as he's continued to develop, has continued to put up more offense. I mean, when he came into the league, he was playing 82 game. He was playing a full 82 game slate, but he was finishing with like 10 points, 17 points, 19 points over 82 games. But now he's turned himself around into what has become a competent, uh, competent forward at least, playing 73, 63. 68 games, putting 35, 40, 44, 52 points up. So there's definitely some offense there as he sort of rounded his game out. And I, given that Tom Wilson has created a reputation for himself and given that he's played for the Capitals, which have been really the Penguins' arch rival throughout the Crosby-Malkin era, it would look weird. It would look very weird for the Penguins to employ the services of Tom Wilson. But if he were a Pittsburgh Penguin, I... I mean, I, I wouldn't really have that much of a problem. The penalty is kind of irk me, but that's his game, and you're not going to change his game at this point in his career. So to, to Brian's point, he's definitely going to provide grit and toughness. He's definitely going to give whatever line he is on, he's going to give it that edge that he has developed that reputation around. So um, I don't know if Tyler Kennedy knew something we didn't. Obviously, this trade never materialized. Nothing ever came of it. He probably said something like this in jest, if I had to imagine. Um, but Kennedy is probably more plugged in than I am at this point. But no, nothing like that happened. To the to Washington's point, uh, I mean, they are 31-28-6, and they were selling off a few crucial pieces uh, right before the 3 p.m. trading deadline last week. So, Maybe there were a couple of rumblings, but I would not have thought that the Capitals would have been dealing within the division to one of their biggest rivals of this era in the Penguins, especially trading away Tom Wilson in his prime. Uh, that, that's just me. But yeah, he would have provided that grit and that tenacity that the the top nine or bottom six could have probably used at this point. Question number four. Question number three comes from Brian. I may have been the only one who thought this, but instead of the players being linked to uh, being linked to in Vancouver, we should have made a run at Kevin Hayes. He has the size and the toughness with the scoring touch. A real Kevin Stevens type player. Robbie, what are your thoughts on forward Kevin Hayes? Uh, I think I'd rather have JT Miller personally. Uh, I know the contract's not great for uh, Miller, uh, but he's, I think he's a little bit better player though. Again, the cost would have been uh, prohibitive, at least from my, uh, uh, in my opinion, it would not have been uh, the trade to make given what Vancouver likely would have wanted. But I, I don't think, again, Kevin Hayes, you're trading with not only a division opponent, but one of your fiercest rivals. He would not have come cheap. And I, I don't know if, that price would have been worth um, what he could bring to the team for the rest of the season. Uh, again, yeah, he would definitely add something the Penguins are missing, but I also don't know if that price would have uh, been something that makes sense uh, given what the Penguins have in terms of um, uh, assets uh, for the trade deadline. So I think over, I mean, I definitely can see why Kevin Hayes would pop up in conversations. I'm kind of surprised he wasn't uh, traded uh, at some point, but the kind of the uh, whole trade deadline for the, uh, for the um, 
Philadelphia Flyers is pretty baffling when you look at them, what they did, which was just about nothing. Uh, and they had plenty of pieces to uh, kind of move on from. James Van Riemsdyk was a name that popped up uh, uh, with the uh, with the Penguins, but and nothing happened there. Uh, again, price probably too high um, for uh, a division rival. But, I mean, I don't hate the Kevin Hayes idea. I just don't think it was a, a – uh, even if there would have been interest – uh, a price the Penguins would have been willing or should have paid uh, for his services uh, uh, to come to Pittsburgh. Uh, question number four is from Brian. We're going to switch sports here a little bit. Uh, Brian Reynolds, Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder, uh, reportedly countered a, a six-year $80 million offer from the Pirates with a eight-year $134 million offer. Uh, the website, Rum Bunter, uh, came in with the idea of seven seven years between 110 and 115 million. I think you have to try to do that to keep him here. Uh, feels like the team is close to turning it all around. I am so jaded with the Pirates, <laughs> and I'm so jaded with like baseball as a whole. I've been keeping loose tabs on it and watching the like the pitch clock changes and the the time of game changes that baseball's made this season. And that has kind of piqued my interest a little bit. So I'll be curious to see. I cannot sit through, just to give you an example, to go off on a little tangent, like the Red Sox and Yankees on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, that first pitch would be at 7.05. And that a regular, your average Yankees-Red Sox game would not end until like midnight. Between the commercials that you broadcast, between pitchers just fiddling with their equipment on the mound, between batters stepping out of the box, after between every at bat stepping out of the box, fixing their glove, fixing their uh, fixing their cup, fixing their helmet, uh, all of this. So I'm I'm really curious to see uh, how baseball is going to improve and how the players are going to adjust to the time of game aspects. That has nothing to do with Brian's question regarding Brian Reynolds. Um, Boy, back to the Pirates, huh? Uh, I, I think six years over eighty million over six years comes out to about what thirteen million per season. I was and, and Rum Bunter thinks that the sweet spot is one ten to one fifteen. I I was looking and doing the math. I think there's a compromise to be made. Maybe uh, one hundred and twelve million over seven years. That's uh, sixteen million, or roughly sixteen million per season. So that's a bit of a bump up from what the Pirates reportedly offered and what he reportedly rejected. But I think $16 million is a fair compromise of meat in the middle. I don't think Brian Reynolds is... Uh, I don't know how many Pirates fans listen to this podcast, but I don't think Brian Reynolds is a, a top five outfielder in the National League or Major League Baseball. Maybe at the bottom of a top ten list, but I don't think he's a franchise-altering cornerstone. But however, given what the Pirates have gone through and how mediocre they've been since like 2015, he is arguably probably their best player until maybe a guy like O'Neill Cruz uh, comes into his own or Cabrian Hayes maybe comes into his own and delivers on the potential that we were we were sold when they when these players were drafted or signed as international free agents. But meeting in the middle, uh, 112 million over seven years. I think the pirates can do that business. And I, I wonder if Reynolds would be satisfied with a, that that's the long-term offer you're looking for. I think Reynolds is what, 26, 27 years old. So that takes you through the rest of your prime years. If the pirates 
are actually serious on competing and fielding a winner. They, they, they always said 2024 was the year. Are they going to keep moving the goalposts back to 2025, 2026? You know, I've been told for three or four seasons now, as the Pirates have picked first overall in Major League Baseball drafts, that the Pirates are gathering all these prospects. And Ben Charrington is it's a slow burn rebuild. But Ben Charrington is the guy. Don't worry. Put your faith in Ben Charrington. I started I started out this question saying I was jaded with the Pirates. I've gone on a few tangents already in the span of like the three minutes answering this question. But yes, I think 112 million over seven years is a good middle ground for Reynolds if he accepts it. It takes you through his prime seasons. And if the Pirates do come out of this deal and act on their promises of being a, a true contender in the National League, which I personally don't expect, then I will eat crow. I will come on here. And Brian, you can ask the same question again and tell me that I was wrong, that the Pirates have turned it around and they have competed. But until until that day comes, I, I am going to continue to be jaded by the Pittsburgh Pirates and the on-field product. Question number five for you, Robbie, also comes from Brian. Can you explain, this is a good one, because headlines have been popping up recently since the trade deadline. Can you explain the Arizona Coyotes taking on so much so much salary at the deadline to reach the cap floor? I've been seeing people complain that they should be investigated for it, and I would like to understand why. So as far as I understand it, it's just a legal, well, legal within the CBA kind of NHL money laundering scheme, basically. Um, they basically facilitate trades, take on money, reach the cap floor, uh, because there's loopholes in the CBA that can be exploited. And generally every, again, it's all, a uh, a, a, a rich boys club. Um, nobody's gonna, no owner's gonna put, um, uh, especially take on the NHL with something like this. And it somehow works out for everyone. The coyotes are kind of a, um, yeah, a middleman for these trades. Uh, should be they be investigated? I don't know what there is in to investigate when it's very clearly being done out in the open. Uh, it's not exactly a, a secret what's happening here. Um, it's been going on for years. So, uh, morally, they... I don't want to cut you off, Robbie. Morally, it's wrong. It, it like it, it looks bad on the surface from a fan's perspective. But you're right, Robbie. There is there's technically nothing wrong with what the Coyotes are doing. No, it's not, and it was kind of the. Um, now again, this loophole has been taken out of this out of the uh, the NHL, but the years in the past where uh, um, teams would backload contracts or frontload contracts, uh, more more or less backload contracts. Remember the Ilya Kovalchuk? Uh, that's been what 2010, 2011 when he signed that deal uh, with the Devils, that 10 year deal that was uh, originally uh, nixed by the NHL. Um, teams would find ways to work the salary cap. And that's kind of what uh, what happens when you have a hard cap league. Um, uh, like that you don't necessarily have, like the NBA is not a, is a soft cap league. Uh, so they don't have as much uh, of this money laundering kind of system uh, in place. And whatever the NFL uses, uh, there's guardrails in place that this doesn't happen. And it very it, it's something that can be prevented uh, by simply putting in um, the proper restrictions for this happening. But as long as the CBA is as it stands and it doesn't seem like either side is necessarily uh, willing to 
take this on because the players that are getting traded don't care. They're still getting paid. The owners, it's just a way to improve. Everybody can take advantage of it. It's not like it's a something reserved for like um, to it, like the Boston Bruins and the Montreal. It's not like it's just a rule there that says that only the original six teams are allowed to do this. Uh, it's something that everybody can take advantage of. Uh, the Coyotes are, I mean, that organization is a complete uh, – burning tire fire for the most part anyway uh so nobody really cares they meet they meet their uh, salary cap floor they remain terrible they take on some money uh and in the end they end up getting uh some kickbacks and picking stuff out of it that uh they can turn into uh players uh, down the line so yeah it's all uh legalized money laundering basically within the constraints of the cba and again nothing to be investigated because one it's not technically illegal uh, per NHL rules, two, it's pretty much done in the open. There's nothing really to investigate. It's not like they're trying to sneak anything under anybody's nose. Um, so you know, why do why do people want it to be investigated? Because it's quite li- literally, it's quite obviously uh, morally not right to do, and it provides. I get you can't really say it provides an unfair advantage because anybody can take advantage of it, but uh, it's just it's shady and uh, it's just a way to work around. Uh, what guardrails are in place. Uh, question number six from Brendan. Uh, of the non-Pens Metro teams uh, in the hunt, that would be Carolina, New Jersey, the Rangers, and the Islanders, uh, which one would you A, cheer for, B, stomach, C, are indifferent to, or D, outright cheer against? All right, let's take a look here. Um, which one would I cheer for? Probably Carolina. Uh, Carolina, I don't really, I don't view them as a real arch nemesis to the Penguins. There hasn't really been bad blood that's developed between the two franchises. Um, I, 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 so I'd probably cheer for Carolina and they're, they're kind of what, what's, what's often considered high flying, offensively skilled brand of hockey. So I'll go A, I'll cheer for. The Carolina Hurricanes. B, which one would I stomach? Um, I would stomach the New Jersey Devils. I was deciding between I wanted, whether I wanted to cheer for Carolina or New Jersey, uh, but I'll still cheer for Carolina. I'll stomach New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey, eh, you know, they, they, they haven't been really, they haven't been good for so long now, and they're finally coming out of it with a lot of good young players. So if they go on a run, and they've had such a great season uh, this season. If they go on a run, uh, I'd be interested to see where where they go in the playoffs. Uh, I'm indifferent towards the Islanders. I don't really I don't really have anything for or against the Islanders. Uh, but I absolutely cannot stand the Rangers, their fan base, their goal song, everything about the Rangers. It just irritates me. I was irrationally angry when they beat the Penguins last season. Because, I mean, we all knew the Penguins had the better team. They just couldn't get league average goaltending when they needed it the most, or else that series would have been over in five games. Uh, I, I can't stand, I really can't stand the Rangers. And the, really, it really comes down to the New York fan base. And it's not just the Rangers. It's, it's, it's a lot of the teams in New York, how uh, a lot of the fan base is there. And a lot of the fans act holier than thou. Like it's New York is sacred ground in all of the major sports leagues. 
and we're so much better than you and we're New York and you're not we are you are beneath us because we live in New York City or whatever so yeah uh Carolina New Jersey Islanders Rangers is how I would rank that question question number seven comes from Brian this is a good one too I'm Curious to see where this goes. Warner Brothers Discovery reportedly wants to back out of the regional sports network broadcast game. What is going to happen to the Penguins and Pirates games because they are aired on AT&T Sportsnet, which is owned by Warner Brothers Discovery? Could this be a good thing in relation to what may happen, which could be potentially no blackouts? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens here because with all the options... Uh, available now that with streaming and all that, you never know which direction this could go. Uh, my top guess would be that someone uh, buys these uh, root sports, uh, regional or AT and T sports, uh, regional networks, and continues to air them. Though, I mean, is there a streaming uh, option available? Possibly, maybe. I don't. I, I doubt that ESPN wants to get into this. Um, th- this thing where they're paying all these local broadcasts and stuff like that to put them on ESPN Plus. So I don't know exactly what could happen here. Um, again, this isn't something you see in like uh, European soccer where leagues as a whole uh, sign up uh, contracts with uh, different broadcasters. Um, like NBC has the Premier League and you can watch all the Premier League games uh, on their various outlets. Um, so how they do this, I don't know. Um, it'd be great to get out of the blackouts. Um, it would be fantastic that way. Maybe I could pop on ESPN and not have to worry about paying uh, for a streaming service that carries a local regional sports network. That's something that's not necessarily available to everyone uh there's only i think two that carry uh, at&t sports network uh streaming services wise not necessarily uh cable wise but i'm gonna it's i'm this is something that i'm when i saw this news i wanted to keep an eye on because it could go a bunch of different directions uh with all the options that are out there available now i think that uh the best bet would be that someone uh buys uh, the service from uh, Warner Brothers Discovery uh, and rebrands AT and T Sports Network into uh, whatever. I mean, it's been it's been so many different things. Uh, Root Sports, uh, Fox Sports Network. If you are old enough to remember that, so many different things that uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens because a lot of teams this season and I believe last season as well were broadcast on regional networks uh, by Bally Sports Network, which was owned by Sinclair, which owns a lot of uh, local TV station and stuff. Well, uh, Sinclair is on the verge of bankruptcy, which would um, devastate, possibly completely eliminate their sports, uh, brought their regional sports broadcasting uh, branch. Uh, so there could be a lot of regional sports teams that are looking for uh, broadcast partners here within the next, uh, not even year, within the very next two to three months. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, because it's a completely different landscape than uh, when this all under this all started before the Penguins and the Pirates both 
did their own TV contracts uh, with AT&T Sports Network, which was the parent company being Warner Brothers uh, Discovery. So something to keep an eye on uh, to see how the, all this plays out and which route uh, this all goes with um, all the different ways that you can watch uh, television uh, in 2023. Uh, question number eight from Brian. Uh, would you have liked to see a goalie added to the deadline? Personally, I say yes, just to assure that what happened last playoffs doesn't happen again if we do make it. So I, I am going to default to fellow Pennsburg writer Adam Gretz. He did the research just a couple of days ago. So take the Columbus game out of the equation in which uh, DeSmith appeared in relief for uh, Tristan Jari. Uh, we'll start here. He was doing the research on March 4th. Uh, the Penguins have a 464 points percentage when DeSmith is the goalie of record, and their points percentage is 693 when Jari uh, is the starter. So he looked into it, did some more research, and came out with this factoid. No team in the league has a bigger negative gap in point differential from their starting goalie to their backup goalie this season than the Penguins. So their points percentage, like I mentioned, uh, when Jari plays was 693. When DeSmith plays or another backup plays, it's 451, which is a difference of minus 242. So that would be like uh, 0.242 if you're looking at averages and percentages. Detroit was next to their starter, uh, they had a points per points percentage by goalie at 590, and with their backups coming in, uh, they were at three 361. That was their points percentage. Again, that was Detroit, but Pittsburgh is worse. They have the biggest negative differential between the biggest negative gap in point differential from their starting goalie to their backup goalie. So that goes to show you how slippery a slope the penguins have been treading this season when it comes to their backup goalie play all of this goes to say that yes i would have liked to see them i would have liked to seen them add a goaltender personally probably i think they could have done better than extending to smith for an extra two years at 1.8 million um you could have probably allocated that money to a probably more effective goaltender however like i said goaltending is a slippery slope and it's often a statistic a lot of those statistics uh, have to be looked at at a year-by-year basis because one goaltender can be lights out one year he can come back the next year and completely fall flat on his face uh, it's a very very um what's the word i'm looking for it's a very precarious position uh, to, to be a goaltender in today's NHL because really outside of a few goaltenders, maybe like your Vasilevskis and uh, maybe a couple of others that I can't think of off the top of my head, it's a very slippery game and inconsistencies can plague even the, even the best goaltenders within the blink of an eye. So yeah, I, th I would have liked them to see them add a goalie at the deadline. Maybe they go a different direction in the off season, but they decide to shed some more salary with the, after this season, the Smith only has one more year left on his contract. Maybe that's more palatable for a couple of teams looking for a goaltender, but we'll have to see what happens uh, once we get into the off season. And if they do change anything uh, when it comes to their goalie situation. Question. Number nine from Brian, when is a winning streak considered a heater? 
Well, I guess it depends on the team. I mean, if you're really bad like the Blue Jackets and they go on a three-game winning streak, you'd think you'd call that a heater. Um, I'm going to say five games uh, as an average. Uh, five, I mean, three, I consider three games a winning streak. Um, so give a little cushion there to five. I'll call five a heater. I mean, that's 10 points in a row. Um, now, I think that would change for even like football because, again, one game a week, maybe three games a heater. Baseball, you have five, six, seven games a week. So maybe you're looking at seven, eight games in a row is considered a heater in baseball. Again, I think that can vary, though, depending on who the team is. The Pirates winning five games in a row, that's nearly unheard of. That's, I mean, that's that's like a heater in Pittsburgh for the Pirates. But uh, the the Yankees going on five in a row, um, uh, I don't I don't know not not this not not the Yankees that are playing now with all the talent they have, uh, and I think it kind of varies. Um, like Boston, if Boston won three in a row, they wouldn't call that a heater. But if they won five in a row, I don't even know if you call that a heater. The Boston's been on a heaters pretty much since a puck dropped on opening night. Uh, with the numbers they're putting up this year. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I guess that the definition varies depending on uh, the sport, the team, uh, the situation. Um, so I'd say for the NHL, an average would be five, five games in a row. Baseball, again, seven, eight games. Uh, football, let's say three. Basketball is roughly the same as, as hockey, uh, five games in a row. Uh, but again, all can vary. Soccer. Soccer, I mean, you get three games in a row when you're playing one or two a week, maybe four. Uh, it, all, it all depends. I think it all varies. Uh, you can go on season-long heaters. You can go on uh, monthly heaters. It's Yeah, I think it all varies, and it's a very subjective term to uh, what uh, what each individual would define as going a team going on a heater. Uh, number 10, uh, question number 10 from Brendan. I'm dreading hockey without Sidney Crosby. He has two years left after this year. Uh, what do you think he does? Two to three years at $10 million per. Uh, two to three years uh, at $6 million per. Uh, maybe retire or other. Sidney Crosby is a very curious case. I, he's gone on record and publicly said um, he, wants to, he wants to get through this current contract and reevaluate his options from there. Um, I I think with the camaraderie and the brotherhood that the, that Crosby, Malkin, and Latang have, I think they would like to go out together. That is just a get, just a guess, a hunch. Uh, but Crosby is curious. He he loves the game. He is the the epitome of a hockey player. He is, he eat, he eats, he breathes, he sleeps this game. That is how much he is devoted to his craft. So I could see him playing into his forties. I could also see him playing because he's, a, I could also see him not playing because he's accomplished everything there is to accomplish. He's, he will go down as one of the top five players of all time. Uh, he obviously doesn't need the money. So it's going to come down to at age 38 or 39, whenever his contract does expire, if he feels his body has enough to go through the grind of an 82-game season. Uh, but I know that probably no one else in Pittsburgh probably conditions his body 
the way Crosby does. So there are a lot of different options on the table um, to, to explore when Crosby's contract does expire. I try not to think about it because we are closer to the end than we are the beginning for the, the big three. And uh, I just try to live in the moment with this group, with this group, because you don't know when the next game could be the last, if something crazy and unfortunate happens. But if he does come back, I do imagine he comes back at a deal similar to what Latang and Malkin got this summer, maybe six, seven million per. I don't know if he, I don't know if he asks for, for 10 million at 38 years old. Um, there, there, I think the possibility of retirement is there because there's, there's nothing left for him to prove and accomplish. Um, I think eventually maybe he could become a coach or a general manager. I think he loves the game of hockey that much that uh, he, he could devote his talents off ice to, you know, player personnel, that sort of thing. Or he could go back to Cole Harbor and just live a quiet, peaceful life up there with no real interruptions and just enjoy retirement and uh, enjoy his life, post-hockey life. So a lot of options on the table for Crosby. Uh, we'll, we'll see what the future holds for number 87 as uh, we do get closer to the, the dreaded end to this championship window that everyone loves to talk about. But I, I'm not going to think about that now. I'm not going to think about that this year, next year, or the year after. Uh, whenever Sidney Crosby wants a press conference to announce his retirement is when I'll sit up in my chair and then I'll say, well, this is, uh, this is I guess this is really happening. Uh, but uh, but until then, uh, I, I'm going to enjoy what we get on the ice with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. Question number 11. The final question comes from two question askers who have the same question related to Pierre-Olivier Joseph. Alvin Arnold and Brendan have some questions regarding Pierre-Olivier Joseph. Why is Dmitry Kulikov, why does he get the start over Joseph, the younger defenseman, who, in Joseph's case, hasn't really been all that bad this season? Good question. Um, now, Kulikov, this question was asked, uh, obviously, before uh, the game on Tuesday night, and I thought Kulikov was fine. I thought he was completely competent, um, did exactly, played 15 minutes. Now, Pierre-Olivier Joseph, due to some lineup shuffling, did play, but played very little. I would still rather see uh, uh, Pierre-Olivier Joseph in the lineup over Dmitry Kulikov, uh, just because I think he brings something offensively that, uh, uh, quite obviously, that Kulikov does not. So I think overall, um, I think overall, um, it's not really fair to uh, Dmitry Kul- or um, Pierre-Olivier Joseph at all. And I'd rather see Joseph in the lineup, why that was done, I guess it's a Mike Sullivan thing, and I think if you look at the roster, uh, if he had to pull somebody out, if you know Mike Sullivan, that was probably who it was always going to be. Um, again, we talked about at the beginning of the season how we figured that uh, Pierre-Olivier Joseph was on his way out the door um, very early in the season as a trade piece, but he's been here all season, put together a great season. He Defensively, he's not the best, but he does have some good defensive moments. I just think offensively with how this team struggles to score points, uh, having a guy like that in the lineup is more of a plus than having a guy like Kulikov in the lineup. But they didn't bring in Kulikov for zero reason. I know it was nice to get that 
uh, Brock McGinn contract out the door, uh, and he does provide some depth, but you already have a complete logjam at the top of that uh, that blue line or throughout that blue line. So um, I, re- I really think that um, it was the obvious choice if you understand Mike Sullivan's uh, roster management. Um, I would not have done it, but I, I'm not the head coach. But I think that uh, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, when the playoffs start, should the Penguins – uh, make it once again. I really think that uh, it will be Pierre Olivier Joseph in that uh, in that starting lineup, and I certainly hope for uh, that's what it is. Unless Kulikov would come in and be a defensive master, um, but I think overall, um, it just, Joseph was the odd man out. Uh, it almost looks like a seniority type thing uh, with that, but it is what it is, and um, we'll see how he does against the Islanders and. Uh, again, you have back-to-backs this weekend with the Ranger or the Flyers and Rangers, uh, and then a big week next week with, uh, th- uh, well, technically Sunday uh, against the Rangers, and then twice more against the Rangers uh, next week. So if Kulikov struggles, I think you'll see uh, Joseph back in the the lineup sooner rather than later. But if Kulikov comes out and helps that defense, maybe he gets uh, a longer stretch of uh, play uh, now that he's here in Pittsburgh. All right, that'll do it for the mailbag, and in turn, that will do it for this episode of the Penscast. I'd like to thank you all for listening to last week's episode, which was the first episode under the new Penscast banner. And uh, while the rebrand and the official move has not been finalized just yet, it will likely be finalized at the end of this month into early April. While things have not been finalized just yet, I'd like to again thank you all for for listening and coming with us to this new project as we continue to rebrand the podcast and reshape the the podcast. And um, again, I'd just like to to thank everyone who took the time to download and and say some nice things in some of the comment sections that I was reading. And, uh, you know, your support is really the main reason why we are able to do what we do and rebrand into the pens cast and rebrand into the skating penguin network with fans first sports network. So I can't thank everyone enough who continues to listen week in and week out, or if you're finding us for the first time as the penguins gear up for another postseason run, but for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Penscast, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.